0: We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Be sure to stay tuned to the end for a special invitation from Leslie.
1: Welcome to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I am so honored and excited to have as our guest, Lisa Turkhurst who is the president of Proverbs 31 Ministry and the author of over 25 books. Lisa is no stranger to media, but she has been in the media more recently over her newest book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. She helps women understand that boundaries are not just a good idea, but they're God's idea. And she learned this through some very tough personal experiences. Lisa, I have been just so delighted to get to know you in this second half of our ministry together. Um, I remember talking to you about the first time we met when neither one of us had written a book, and I think we were in a little writers and speakers class that both of us kind of felt called into ministry. Neither one of us were in ministry yet, but we were just beginners. And that's such a fun story to go back all these years and say, look how God has brought our paths together again.
2: It really is, Leslie, and I'm so thankful for how you've let your ministry unfold and the amazing work that you do on behalf of women, hurting women, women who have lots of questions, and and you're so wise biblically, but also relationally. I just am so grateful for you.
1: Thank you. Tell us a little bit about before you went through your personal crisis in your marriage. Tell us a little bit about your idea about boundaries and whether those things were biblical or whether they were bad, um, give us a context for this is something that you never expected yourself to write or speak
2: about. So what tell us about Lisa before the boundaries book. Yeah. So I have heard of boundaries. I've even read some resources on boundaries. And I guess in some ways I had tried to establish some boundaries, but here's where it fell apart for me. I just didn't have the biblical confidence or the emotional fortitude to implement healthy boundaries and to have the confidence to even have boundary conversations. You know, it's one thing to go, yeah, yeah, we need boundaries. I get it. But it's another whole thing to communicate those and to think ahead of time about the consequences, both with the other person, but also with yourself, you know, boundaries are going to cost you something personally and then how to communicate boundaries, how to um, uphold your boundaries, and then how to know when to loosen the boundaries or even make the boundaries stronger. I just didn't have, like I said, the biblical confidence or the emotional fortitude for all of that. I had questions, you know, it, it can be confusing sometimes as a Christian woman when it seems more notable and noble to truly just give yourself away to everyone and everything. And, you know, I think that there were some healthy perspectives around that, that I had, but there were a lot of unhealthy perspectives too. Um, So Lisa, before I really studied boundaries, I felt honestly like they were a little impossible for me.
1: Yeah. You know, I did too for a while because it almost, it felt like it was selfish to either stand up for yourself or to speak clearly about what you wanted or what you didn't want or what you were going to tolerate or what you weren't going to tolerate. It's just like, it sounded to me first kind of perspective. And I felt like, oh, God, God wants me to always put others first or their needs always should be more important than mine. And it was really hard for me to really come to grips with, wait a minute, Jesus had boundaries. Jesus didn't shut people out, but he took good care of himself. And he knew as a human being, when he was at his capacity, when he needed to go to sleep, when he needed to get time alone, he didn't just do whatever everyone wanted him to do all of the time. And he wasn't selfish. So that gave me some permission to begin to explore that some more. How about you? What really forced you into having to
2: face this? Well, what forced me to face this is that I was worn out, worn down, frazzled, fractured. And, um, the, the pace of just giving everything to everyone was unsustainable. And, you know, I, I think I also had to get really honest with myself in my own counseling. Um, you know, when I sat before my counselor, I, I had to get honest about my tendencies Toward people pleasing. Now, I wouldn't have necessarily said I struggle with people pleasing, but what I would have said is I like I for there to be peace in my environment. And in order to have peace, I just have to go along with certain things. And, you know, I'm willing to pay the price of going along with things because the price of no peace is unbearable. But the price of just going along with some things, you know, I felt like I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it until one day I realized, no, I cannot, I cannot handle it. And this is not healthy. It's not sustainable. And so I had to get honest. Why, why, why do, why do I feel like I have the ability to keep the peace somehow when, you know, it, it's. God only calls me to keep peace as far as it depends on me. And, you know, I, I also had to get really honest about my motivations. You know, I don't like being misunderstood. I don't like for people to think poorly of me. I, I don't want to risk them possibly rejecting me or saying things about me that really don't reflect my heart. Um, And so because of all of those things, I think it's better to just say yes to their requests than to risk them taking away from me the support, the endorsement, the encouragement, whatever it is, you know, but if that person is someone who would walk away from me because I established a healthy boundary, then that should have been my first clue. This probably isn't a healthy dynamic inside this relationship.
1: I love that you bring that up because all of us want healthy relationships. We do want to be honored and valued and cared about and loved, just like we want to give that to other people. And so when we're willing to compromise our integrity or compromise our values or compromise our very personhood and what's important to us, just in order to keep someone happy in the relationship, that is a big red flag that there might be something wrong in the relationship.
2: Yeah. And Leslie, I think I've learned about myself that because I have such an optimistic outlook and I want to believe the best about everything and everyone, which those are not bad qualities. Those are good qualities, but anything taken to an extreme can become unhealthy. And I think I just took it to such an extreme that a red flag would literally have to be burning down to the ground before I would tilt my head and go, oh, that that was actually kind of red, wasn't it? You know, and so it's wonderful to be a positive person until you start leapfrogging reality. And so many times I would just jump over behaviors that I saw and I would just try to hurry up, tidy it up somehow and make it better than it it seemed. You know, I've really had to admit to myself there is a problem when in order to cover up the worst of who someone else is, I have to bury the best of who I am.
1: Yeah, and that really relates to our audience that we have who listen a lot to this podcast, women who are in toxic and destructive relationships. And I wanna get to that, but let's just back up for a minute because sometimes we aren't sure whether this is a problem that just because we've never spoken up, that someone might not respect that. We just are so afraid of creating waves. We're so afraid of disappointing them. And I remember one time when I had to tell my stepmom that we weren't going to come home for Christmas anymore. So we had moved out to Pennsylvania and my mom, stepmom always had Christmas and every family member came home and this was something we did. And when we lived in Michigan, we could do that. And we tried from Pennsylvania. We drove home one Christmas and we got stuck on the highway for overnight in a freezing storm and our kids were crabby. And I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I had to let her know that we weren't coming home for Christmas. It was not a firm boundary, but mom, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think we can come at Christmas time. And I knew, I knew she was going to be disappointed. And I avoided telling her to like almost Christmas that we weren't coming, but she was fine with it. It's not like she wasn't disappointed. She was disappointed, but she understood. And that taught me a really important lesson with our friends or our family that we do need to speak up about what we want to do, or what we don't want to do, or what our capacity is. And probably they are going to be disappointed. And that's okay, because I would be disappointed too, if someone said, oh, I can't meet you for lunch, I'm tied up with something else. Or my hairdresser said, I can't fit you in this week, I would be disappointed. But that doesn't mean that they're going to cut me out of their life, or that they're going to tell me I'm a bad person for disappointing them. And so I think sometimes those of us who are afraid to start Speaking up or saying no, have to just kind of test the waters to see how the other person responds. Can they be disappointed and still accept our no?
2: Yeah, that's such a good point, Leslie, because healthy people, even if they're disappointed, they will respect healthy boundaries. And it was very reasonable why you made that decision. You didn't have to explain it, but I'm sure when you acknowledge the reality of what happened the previous Christmas, that any healthy person would say, yes, that is too much to have a family risk being in freezing cold weather, having to spend the night, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, that that's not realistic. It's not sustainable. And so any healthy person should respect that boundary. Here's where I think it starts to fall apart. When you're trying to communicate a healthy boundary with an unhealthy person, they are not only not going to like your boundary, but they may they may in turn threaten you try to manipulate you try to take control of the situation they may punish you they may in the name of drawing their own boundaries do some things that really hurt you know hurt you emotionally and and in some situations even physically so you do have to be really wise in when you communicate it, how you communicate it, and what are the patterns of behavior of this other person so that you can better manage your reaction to whatever it is that they might say. And I think all of those things are things we need to consider ahead of time as we think ahead about communicating a boundary. And that's one big lesson that I've really learned is I'm usually not gonna create the best boundaries as a reaction to someone else's poor behavior in the moment. It's better for me to take a step back, assess it, maybe even talk to my Christian counselor or some wise Christian friends about it, and get a plan for communicating the boundaries so that it doesn't become a reaction, but rather a well-thought-out response.
1: I totally agree, because sometimes when we just respond out of a reaction that we're mad or we're frustrated or we're annoyed, they can twist that into creating a guilt trip for us. And we're right. It's right. We did behave poorly. And so we erase our boundary because we feel bad about the way we said it or the way we, you know, stated it, Um, or maybe it was too strong at the first level. So it is really important if we're going to think about setting boundaries with people that we start to own our side of the street about how we set it, you know, taking care to get some counsel, if it's a tough boundary with a very personal relationship, like a husband or a mother, those kind of things. But I do think just on a lesser level, why is it so hard for Christian women just to be honest with their limitations, their capacities, with their own Christian girlfriends Um, in relationships? I think it's really hard for us to just say, you know, no, I can't babysit your kids today. That won't work for me. Or no, I can't lend you extra money because I don't have enough to give you. Or no, I can't come and do your laundry today, even though you're sick, because I've got my own laundry to do or whatever it might be. It's so hard for us to say just no.
2: Mm -hmm. It really is. And I think part of the reason is because we're in conflict. Our heart says yes. When the reality of our time or our capacity says no, and so we get in conflict. So I think a great communication strategy is to let the other person know that. Just be completely honest when you say, while my heart says yes, 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 the reality of my capacity right now, or the reality of my schedule right now, or the reality of my limitations right now makes this a no. Now I can't give that, but here's what I could give, you know, maybe I can't come over and do your laundry, but I could jump on the phone and encourage you. And so I think, I think this is going to require us to take a step back from a flood and rush of demands coming at us and really assessing what is my capacity and where are my limitations so that this becomes less of a reaction and an emotional decision and much more of a, Logical, realistic solution.
1: And again, that requires some inner work of paying attention to our own capacity and limitation. Many of us as women have felt like we've got to be heroic rescuers, that we have to lose sleep, go into debt, let ourselves be emotionally or physically sacrificial, or even sometimes harmed in order to help someone else. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Certainly, we're to sacrifice. Sometimes even our life, Jesus says, for the well-being or the highest good of another. But to sacrifice ourselves, for example, in Proverbs 6, it says, don't co-sign on a loan. That would be sacrificial, to co-sign on a loan. The Bible tells us don't do that. Don't sacrifice financially for someone who's irresponsible. That's not in their highest good, and it's not in your highest good. And I think that's really helpful for us to kind of think through that when we're helping someone continue to be unhealthy, by overfunctioning for them, sacrificing for them, doing for them what they should be doing for themselves. We're depleting ourselves, but we're also not helping them. We're not loving them
2: well. That's right. You know, Jesus did lay down his life. He modeled this, but he laid down his life for a high and holy purpose. He did not lay down his life for bad behavior to continue. And I think we would be wise to think through that
1: yeah and so let's get to the marriage piece because i think sometimes women believe that keeping their marriage together at all costs at any price is a high and noble purpose for the sake of their children for the sake of the ministry for the sake of their husband's reputation for the sake of you know the well-being of the reputation of marriage in the church community um, all of those reasons seem very noble when you're in a destructive and abusive marriage to lay down your life, to give up the best of who you are. Talk about that a little bit, Lisa.
2: Well, you know, I think that there, it's really hard to put a blanket statement over all situations. So instead of me telling you what to think, I just want to give you a lot to think about and use my own experiential wisdom. I I think we have to take a realistic assessment of where are we really at in this relationship? And if we're having, like you've brilliantly taught Leslie, if we're having difficulties, that's a big difference between a difficulty and a destructive marriage. And you know, I have watched so many of your videos and appreciated so much of your teaching because this was a real turning point for me to understand the difference. It it would be great to fight through marriage difficulties because marriage is worth it. You know, I I am so quick to tell women. Uh, you and I just hosted a retreat this past weekend, and I said to the women, "If you are having marriage difficulties, fight for your marriage." You know, I would give anything for my marriage of thirty years to have been at least sustainable, at least healthy enough to work on because I didn't want to give up on my marriage and I didn't want to walk away from my marriage. I did not want to be a divorced woman. Those were all things that just grieved my heart to the depth of my being. But at some point I took a step back and I said, am I walking away from my marriage? Am I causing this divorce? No, I am accepting reality that this is no longer sustainable. And I didn't take leaps to that conclusion. I took steps and I got a lot of wise people surrounding me to help me assess where was I at? And I did fight really hard for my marriage, harder than I've fought for anything else in in, ever in my whole life. And this went on and on and on. And you know, Leslie, I think when I look back, I I really did fight for about 10 years, the hardest battle that I've ever fought. Should it have gone on 10 years? Should I have fought for 10 years? I think there were some good reasons for that. And I think there were some really unhealthy reasons for that, but I can't go back and change the past. I do know that my counselor, Jim Crest says, when you know better, you do better. And so that's what I'm doing now. I love
1: that you're saying that out loud for this audience because I think sometimes the church counseling or the pastoral counseling Christian women who are in destructive and abusive marriages receive is that somehow. Not only are they responsible to manage their husband's behavior, whether it's his porn, you should have more sex, or his adultery, what are you doing wrong? Or his lying, you know, don't push his buttons, you know, or his anger, don't trigger him. It's like somehow they're responsible for how he behaves. And nowhere in the scriptures does God teach us that we are responsible for someone else's behaviors. So somehow a woman is put in charge of keeping her marriage together But that's not possible. One person cannot keep a marriage together. You can stay legally married, and that can be very unhealthy and toxic for the whole system, including the children. But you cannot make a bad marriage a good marriage all by yourself. And so, what the church is kind of instructing women to do is kind of lie and pretend that somehow you're to suck it up and be in a relationship with someone you don't feel safe with, you don't trust, who doesn't care about your feelings, or Your needs and how do you do that? I don't think it's possible. And so we have this teaching on unconditional love is the highest virtue. But unconditional love is an important value in God's hierarchy of values. But even God, who unconditionally loves the world, doesn't have unconditional relationship with everybody. He says, Your sin separates me from you.
2: Absolutely, Leslie. And you know, I'm always careful to identify the fact that. There are some really good Christians out there who do give excellent advice. You, Leslie, are one. And and I've had several pastor friends of mine that have stood with me and have been absolutely amazing. But there are some people who either because of their own fear or because of misunderstandings with the scripture, or because they just don't want to see another Christian divorce. They elevate marriage over the woman's safety, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is. And I think we can't do that. We, we have to elevate the safety and the security of the woman. Like we preserve life first with the hopes that the marriage can also be preserved part of what i've had to come to the realization of is it's kind of like cpr if this relationship if the other person is unwilling or incapable of doing what's necessary for life within that relationship to be sustainable you can give them cpr using external pressure for a little while right and you might be able to preserve life for a little while for example i could through external pressure um, try to get him to go to counseling, try to get him to, you know, seek some therapeutic help, or, or maybe even if you're dealing with addictions, some help with that, whatever. So using external pressure for a little while, we can try to sustain the life of that relationship. But at some point, if that other person's heart does not quicken and beat and come to life in that relationship themselves, you can't sustain it never have you seen two people walking around the mall one person doing chest compressions on the other person and thought there's a healthy relationship you know so we can't assume that within the relationship that we can be the only one to sustain it and that using external force we can sustain the other person so that the, the marriage can be saved. that's not always true
1: i love that analogy Another analogy that you use, Lisa, that I think is really helpful for people to understand is you talk about how much, how much emotional access we want to give people. Um, and so share that with our listeners about this emotional access, because oftentimes as women, we give everybody access to us. And then we end up crabby, depleted, overwhelmed, resentful, wondering why God is asking us to give so much when maybe he isn't.
2: That's right. Well, you know, I learned this as I was going through the Bible, looking for examples where God himself implemented boundaries. And what's interesting in Genesis 1, we see God establishing the foundations of the earth, using separations, one to the other, like he separated the light from the darkness, he separated the land from the sea, and those separations are boundaries. So even in his creation, he used and implemented separations and boundaries. Then we get to Genesis 2, where we very clearly see of all the subjects that God could have covered, in the very first recorded conversation between God and man, God chose the topic of a boundary and God establishes the boundary in the context of freedom with restriction that was used for Adam's protection. So already in the very beginning of the Bible, you see that boundaries are not just a good idea. They're God's idea. But then as I got to the place where God establishes the temple, I was fascinated because God gave access to some people in some places, but not all access to all people in all places, you know, and it wasn't because this group of people were more valuable than this group of people. It's because he required different levels of responsibility and the higher responsibility you had to demonstrate, the more access that you were given all the way to the highest access to the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. He could go into the Holy of Holies, but that high level of access required the highest level of responsibility. And as I sat there and really processed this, I thought there are two really important words here, access and responsibility to the level that I give someone access to my capacity. That means my financial capacity, my relational capacity, my emotional capacity, my physical capacity, all the different capacity areas that we have to the level that I give someone access to my capacity, that same level should be the level at which they demonstrate responsibility to have that kind of access. The problem usually comes where I'm giving level 10 access to a person that maybe is only demonstrating level three responsibility. And the distance between the access I'm granting them and the responsibility that that they are demonstrating That distance between those two, that's where dysfunction grows. So it used to be that I would try to put a boundary on the other person to try to get them to lift up their responsibility to the same level, maybe level 10 access, level 10 responsibility, right? But we all know we can't force another person to create sustainable change if they are unwilling or incapable. So I had to come to the realization, if someone is only willing or capable of demonstrating level three responsibility, then I must put a boundary on myself and stop giving them level 10 access and reduce the access that I grant them down to level three. So there can be some equilibrium in the relationship again.
1: I love that analogy. I think it's so helpful for us to visualize what that might look like. And so when we're looking at practical application, Here's another example. If a husband's been unfaithful, he's been cheating or lying or watching pornography or being emotionally, verbally, physically abusive, that is not responsible husbanding. That's irresponsible neglect or abuse in the marriage. And yet Christian women are told they have to give their husband full access to their bodies, that they have to be in a Intimate relationship with this person. They have to give their bodies over to a sexual relationship to someone who has betrayed them, to someone who they can't trust, to someone who scares them and makes them feel horrible about themselves. And yet somehow this is God's will. And I think it's so clear to say, hey, when someone acts treacherously, they actually move into the category biblically of an enemy. An enemy is someone you're still supposed to love, Jesus says, love your enemy, do them good. But it doesn't mean that you give access to your soul, to your physical well-being, to your financial well-being, to your enemy, precisely
2: because they are your enemy. They have harmed you. Yeah, and I think there's a big safety issue here, too. If your husband has been having an affair, then there is the real possibility that there could medically be reasons why it would be unsafe for you to continue to have sexual relations with someone who has gone outside of the marriage. And I mean, you just look at the statistics for sexually transmitted diseases, and this no longer just becomes a thing that's hurt your heart. It could be a thing that absolutely endangers your body. And so remember, we preserve life first, and then we work on the marriage. And, you know, Jesus demonstrated this, you know, people were upset because he was doing things to preserve life on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, wait a minute, you know, like, yes, we want to honor the Sabbath. But we protect life first. So, you know, and if that's true with sexually transmitted diseases and our physical safety, then we have to know that there are spiritual ramifications, there are emotional ramifications that must be tended to as well. And um, no, we are absolutely not called to violate scripture in an order to defend scripture. It is wrong for a husband to have a sexual relationship outside of the marriage. Therefore, we don't want to try to defend what is already unbiblical, you know? So we've got to pay attention. This is unbiblical. Therefore, it's unsustainable until we get some help here. And that means medical, physical help, spiritual help, emotional help.
1: Yeah. You talk about life-giving boundaries because so often people see boundaries as restrictions, as bad as death. You know, you're not letting me, you're not letting me kind of thing. So what are your five guidelines for implementing life-giving boundaries?
2: Well, you know, Leslie, I encourage people to come up with their own guidelines. So again, I'm not going to tell you what to think, but I do want to give people a lot to think about. So with healthy boundaries, I think number one, you have to take a realistic assessment what's really going on here and when you hit that point where you're starting to say i just can't take it anymore or this is this feels like i just i can't keep going along with this same turmoil or you start saying things like i love this person but i don't know that i can be around them anymore and so when we start saying some of those things what's happening is we have usually had such a lack of boundaries for so long that now it's ratcheted up our reaction to the point where we're tempted to jump to an extreme. And so we don't want to live in extremes. We don't want to live with no boundaries and we don't want to live just shoving people away. Boundaries help us bring it back to the middle and avoid the pitfalls of extremes. So we've got to take a realistic assessment first. And and then I would also say we've got to assess not only where the relationship is, but what are the consequences going to be, both for the other person and for me, if I implement this boundary? And realistically, think about are you willing to pay the price that this establishing a boundary may cost you? And I just started to realize a lot of times I wasn't willing to pay the price of what this boundary would cost me, not because I was trying to. Just keep this other person happy. But it's because I wanted to keep them happy so they wouldn't take from me something that they were giving to me. And I would fear if they took that from me, I might not be okay in this world. Because, just in truth, transparency here, I tend to want from other people what I fear I will not get from God. And so I think we have to count the cost for it. And No one's going to make healthy decisions for us. We have to make healthy decisions for ourselves. And then number three, what other relationships are going to be affected because of these boundaries and boundaries are something that it's not just the two people that are in that relationship, but it's, it's more people, especially if you have children involved. So what are the consequences there? But again, we need to make sure that we are making healthy choices, even if the consequences seem painful at first. In the long run, when we play it all the way out, we've got to pursue health, not just happiness in the moment. Trying to keep everybody happy is an exhausting pursuit. And children are very perceptive. You know, one of my favorite parts of the retreat this past weekend is when my children spoke up and just said, children are more perceptive than what you think. And it does more harm to them for you to try to pretend like everything's okay when they already perceive things are not okay. And so age appropriate, of course, but we need to think about how do we communicate age appropriately, what is going on and how do we look ahead and think about the cost of what is this doing to my kids emotionally when they're discerning things that aren't being communicated? So I think boundaries can help us even with that next layer of people that will be affected. And then the other thing I would say is now, once you've established what is a healthy boundary and you've counted the cost, then you have to Sit down and plan ahead. I love what my counselor Jim says that we plan in times of strength for times of struggle. I don't want to just say a boundary in a reactionary moment. You know, I want to think ahead of time what is a healthy boundary in this situation? Of course, not putting the boundary on the other person, but putting the boundary on myself to protect my capacity, not because I'm selfish, but because I'm limited in each area of my capacity. Only God is unlimited. And when we start trying to demonstrate unlimited capacity for other people, we're in essence stepping in the place of God that we were never intended. So we were never intended to be. And then lastly, we've got to communicate our boundaries. And I'm a big fan of writing out scripts. And in my book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, I write out scripts that I've used and people can take those, they can, you know, use it to make it more personal to their situation, but at least they have a guideline where to start.
1: Yeah. I'm a big fan of writing out scripts too. It's so helpful to just kind of, because, you know, as an author, you know, how many times do we rewrite our book? How many times do we rewrite our words? Because we don't get it out right the first time. And so if you're going to have an important conversation with someone that you value that relationship, but you don't know if they're going to receive your boundaries, giving yourself some time to think and reflect how you want to say something, Um, life and death is in the power of our tongue. And so we can make a big impact and influence on the situation by the way that we communicate it. And one of the things that people will start to say, especially if you're in a destructive relationship with someone, when you set a boundary is that you're trying to control me. And Mm -hmm. this is really important for women to get this straight because a boundary isn't trying to control you. It's trying to control me. And that's what you're supposed to do. Self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit. So for example, let's say that your husband is a road rager and you've decided for a boundary that you're not going to ride in the car with him anymore, nor are you going to go in the car with your children because of the safety issue. And so you're going to communicate this boundary with him. Hey, I get really scared when you drive like that and I can't control you. I've asked you to stop. I've asked you to calm down. We're terrified in that car ride from now on. If we're going to go somewhere together as a family, I'd like to drive that way. I'm sure we're going to get there safely. Now he may say no way. So then what's your consequence? I have to drive myself separately. I'm not willing to drive with you anymore until you can control yourself. And right now, that's not something you're willing to learn to do. So I can't control you, but I can control me. And I'm not getting in the car if you drive. And I think he's not going to like that. He's going to blame you and you're trying to, I'm not trying to change you. You can drive however you want. I'm just not getting in the car with you. And Mm -hmm. I think this is really important for women to understand that you do have the right to protect you and your children's safety, the prudent, see danger and take refuge. God cares about your safety. As I'm reading through the Psalms, I think, oh my gosh, how many times does God talk about safety that David talks about safety and he's praying to God for safety and God cares about his people's safety. And you can care about that too.
2: Absolutely. And not only that, but it's our responsibility. Like you mentioned, you know, God does not call us to control other people, but he does call us as a fruit of the spirit to remain self-controlled. So it's my responsibility that if I want the best of who Lisa is, then I must remain self-controlled and for me to remain self-controlled and be honoring of God's, um, you know, of the fruit of the spirit in me called self-control of God's Holy Spirit in me, then I need to position myself for success there. I did a really interesting activity, Leslie. I sat down and I wrote out two lists. First list was who is the best of Lisa? And so I wrote down all these qualities that I know when I am self-controlled, these are the qualities that are front and center in my relationships. And then I wrote down the list But when I get pushed past my limitations, what does Lisa look like? And the list was not very pleasant at all. And it's the worst of Lisa that then would be front and center in that relationship. And so part of the communication strategy could be, as your wife, I want the best of me to stay front and center in this relationship. As much as possible. And because of that, I need to remain self-controlled. And in order for me to remain self control my responsibility is to take control of things for myself, not to control you, but I need to position myself so I can control myself. And when we ride together, to continue your example, Leslie, when we ride together, me constantly grabbing the dashboard or gasping or getting to the point where I might yell or demand that you pull over or stop doing this, you know, that's not really what I want to do because that's shifting me to try to control you. And I don't want to control you. I want to honor you. And in order to do so, I will need to either drive or I will need to drive separately. That doesn't mean I don't love you. It means that when we get to where we're going, I can still be a pleasant wife.
1: Perfect. This is so important. And I think, again we as Christian women have not lived in reality is that we do have limited capacity because we sort of use these verses like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and you know other verses that say I have unlimited capacity. But actually this weekend during our small group, one of the examples I used, and I think we can all relate to this, is we are all very cognizant of our capacity physically. Like we know that we can't stay up for 48 hours before falling asleep that we have limited capacity for how long we can stay awake and still function. We have a limited capacity for how long we can hold our bodily functions. Like we don't pee our pants anymore, but if we just keep holding it and holding it sooner or later, we will dishonor ourselves. We can't hold it endlessly. And we learn our capacity as children, part of maturing is learning capacity. How long can you wait before you can't wait anymore? How long can you hold a ball movement before you can't hold it anymore? Or when are you gonna vomit? You know sort of when you're going to do it. You don't wanna vomit on yourself or someone else. But in the same way, I think it's really important for people to learn their emotional capacity. And so Mm -hmm. often we allow ourselves to get provoked and annoyed and upset way beyond our capacity to contain Our ugly emotions that are going to come flying out if we let ourselves get too tired or too provoked. And so just like you would say in the middle of an argument to your husband, I've got to go to the bathroom. If you had to go to the bathroom, you wouldn't just sit there and pee all over yourself. In the same way, if you're going to burst out with some ugly words, like you said, and I'm not going to show up the way I want to show up, I've got to get myself to safety so that I can regroup and do what I need to do to be a better version of me. And that means I can't listen to this anymore, or I can't even live with this anymore. This is too toxic. Just like if you were living in a house with rats or termites or black mold, you might say my capacity to endure this is at its max. I can't do this anymore.
2: And that's okay. It is okay. Sometimes in an effort to not be selfish, which we don't want to be selfish. So it is good to check ourselves. Like, is this, a realistic limitation in my capacity or am I being selfish here? I think it's okay to check ourselves there, but we don't want to, take that desire to not be selfish to the extreme where we allow ourselves to be pushed past our capacity and i think it is really important one of my favorite parts of my book good boundaries and goodbyes is a whole section at the very back of the book where i go through bible verses that have been weaponized against us in order to make us drop our boundaries and so it's a really important section of the book we list the verse that is sometimes weaponized to make you think that having boundaries is not good. And here's how the verse has been misinterpreted. Here's the correct interpretation, doing theological study and being responsible you know, for that interpretation. Here's what someone might say to you. And here is how you can respond using all of the correct theological interpretation of the verse. I really think this is the most important section of my entire book, especially for Christian women, because... We do want to make sure that we have the biblical confidence and the emotional fortitude to draw appropriate, healthy boundaries, because that will give us a different kind of confidence, awareness, and respect for all parties involved.
1: Lisa, I loved that section of your book. I have referred that in our support groups for our ministry, and I think it was done so well. Let's give a couple of examples like, well, you know, God hates divorce. How would you respond to that?
2: Well, in the original version of the Bible, um, that's actually not what the original manuscript has said. Now, this is one of, this is a very highly studied and, you know, different theologians have different interpretations, but I feel like the most responsible interpretation of the original language is that when a man hates and divorces his wife, he does violence against the one he should protect. And as a matter of fact, some versions of our Bible today still say that. But when the King James Version came along, it was changed to God hates divorce. And you can see how obviously God would hate what divorce does to people. God would hate for a husband to do violence against the one he should protect. So I just think we have to have a correct interpretation or else we could walk around our whole lives thinking, God hates divorced people or God hates divorce so much so that he would call me to risk my life in order to preserve the marriage. And um, I think the Lord does want us to honor marriage 100%. I want to honor marriage 100%, but we cannot dishonor scripture or misinterpret scripture or just go along with what other people have told us scripture says. We've got to study it for ourselves.
1: I love that you say that as a Bible teacher, Lisa, that you're not telling them what to think. You're giving them a lot to think about that. We are called to be stewards of our life, of our life story. And if we allow other people to control that, because we're not taking responsibility for thinking through what people say, for studying the Bible, for ourselves, for understanding God's heart and God's character, because God's word doesn't contradict his character. And so if something sounds off, like That sounds pretty cruel that, you know, God hates all divorce. So you just, it'd be better for you to die than for you to leave your marriage. That sounds like God doesn't care about people. He just cares about institutions. And that is not God's heart at all as you read the scriptures. And so I think it's really important that women learn that maybe someone who you have really listened to and trusted doesn't have the full picture on some things. Because you're responsible to steward your mind and your heart and to think through. And the Holy Spirit says he'll teach you what the truth is. And so, yes, get lots of counsel. We do want to listen to wise others in our life. And we also want to learn to think for ourselves.
2: Absolutely. And I know I already mentioned this example in scripture too, but I just want to emphasize it. It is very common for people to say, well, aren't you supposed to lay down your life? for another because jesus modeled that and jesus taught that and i say yes jesus laid down his life to accomplish a high and holy purpose salvation he did not lay down his life to enable bad behavior to continue and if we even look at the reaction that jesus had to the rich young ruler jesus could see the rich young ruler's heart And in an effort to not enable bad behavior to continue and because Jesus cared about the heart of this man, he instructed him with a boundary, go give your possessions to the poor and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. Jesus did not chase him down. Jesus did not try to control him or manipulate him. Jesus gave him a choice and then he stood there. And I don't know exactly what the expression on Jesus's face was but I'm sure Jesus was grieved because he wanted the man to make another decision. And yet Jesus still let him make the choice. As he did with Judas. That's right.
1: It's so important that we understand that as perfect and persuasive as Jesus was, He didn't get Judas to change his mind and he didn't get the rich young ruler to change his mind. So a woman listening who you've tried everything you can to get your husband to change his mind, to come, to repent, to do something different, to make different choices. Don't blame yourself for that. That is their choice to make. And that's where you so wonderfully say, my job is to accept reality. My job is to be courageously committed to the truth. That's what God calls me to.
2: That's right. And we're not expecting perfection here. Look, we all make mistakes, and mistakes are something that, you know, maybe we address and give grace for and we move on. So I'm not talking about expecting this unrealistic perfection in our relationships. We all make mistakes, but we must admit when a mistake isn't a mistake, it's not an isolated instance. We have to acknowledge that sometimes there are patterns of behavior that if that person is unwilling or incapable of changing that pattern of behavior, then that puts this in a whole different category of consideration. And I would suggest that, you know, outside help is needed. And um, I think I'm a big proponent of going to good Counseling. I'm a big proponent of women signing up for your conquer groups, Leslie, when those open up. I'm a big proponent of reading books and, like you said, doing everything that we can to fight for our marriages and at the same time acknowledge reality and respond accordingly with healthy responses.
1: Yeah. Lisa, what's the difference between a bad goodbye and a good goodbye?
2: A bad goodbye is where we that when that person is walking away, we just cannot acknowledge anything about that person, that relationship um, or that encounter that, uh, you know, that was good. And sometimes that's okay. That doesn't make it a bad goodbye. Some relationships, you know, just end in a really, really hard way. But in our heart, And I shouldn't even say our heart. I should say in my heart, I want to be able to celebrate what was good and let it be my choice, the memories that I keep and the memories that I toss and the memories that I just put away for now, because they're too painful for me right now. Maybe they won't be painful forever, but in my heart, I want to keep my heart swept clean And so at the end of the book, I, um, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I think you'll be okay with it. At the end of the book, I tell a story about what I did with my wedding ring, because it was really hard for me to take off my my, my wedding ring. And yet when I knew that I had to accept reality of what was happening and that this was no longer a biblical marriage and this was no longer a sustainable marriage. It took me a long time, but when I did, I took my wedding ring off. I tucked it in the pages of a really special Bible and I put it high on my shelf and in my heart, I whispered goodbye, goodbye. God be with you. Goodbye. In no way, shape or form did that Tidy up or pretend like what happened wasn't really awful for me. It was awful for me. In no way did that justify any kind of behavior. It didn't justify a thing. But what it did do is instead of sending that person off with disgust, which just would leave such a heavy feeling in my heart, I wanted to send that person off by imagining just placing them in the hands of God and then me accepting reality, putting a stake in the ground. And even when I say enough is enough, I can send that person off. Goodbye. Goodbye. God be with you. Goodbye. I think it's also important to have many funerals and that's M I N I because I like to refer to my divorce as the death of a marriage. The problem is that there was no funeral. There weren't loved ones gathering around, you know, acknowledging this with me. Um, There's no marked place where I can go put flowers and nobody's bringing me casseroles. Right. And so in my own heart, in my own mind, I wanted to have a funeral, not just for the death of my marriage, but sometimes when grief revisits me like I think oh wow that was a trip that we were supposed to take or oh wow I had always envisioned Christmas with all of us sitting around the table or another grandchild is born and that moment is a little bit tainted in my mind just because it's not exactly the way I thought it would be but it doesn't have to be tainted it can actually still be a beautiful celebration but when those moments come and I experience grief I know it's time to stop acknowledge the grief process the grief have a little funeral inside of my heart and again place that expectation that i had that is no longer reality place it in god's hands and say goodbye goodbye god be with you goodbye
1: i love that i love that it's sort of an anchor for you as a reminder that i can't control him i can only control me and i think that really aligns with the verse in Romans where Paul tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it doesn't mean that you're going to overcome the evil in the other person or what they've done to you. But it's sort of like when someone does these things to us, whether it's our husband or our parent or our boss or whoever, um, they shoot these Poisonous darts at our hearts, and the poison starts coursing through our bodies, and we start to feel resentful and bitter and hopeless and despairing and depressed and suicidal and overwhelmed, and all of the and so all of that evil poison is coursing through us. And when Paul tells us, "Hey, you need to apply an antidote right away," just like if you got bit by a rattlesnake, you know, you need to you need to apply the antidote so that this awful overwhelm, this awful resentment, doesn't shape you and deform you into someone who isn't at all who you're supposed to be. And so that antidote is love, you know, that we love our enemy. Jesus doesn't say this just because he's trying to force us into doing something we don't want to do. He's saying, when you get filled with hate and resentment and bitterness, it doesn't make a bit of difference to your enemy. They don't care or they wouldn't have done what they did but it'll make a huge difference in you if you let that poison stay in your system. So I think these awarenesses of, oops, I just got hit with the poison arrow again, or I just got bit by the poisonous snake again. And what do I need to do to apply that antidote? Whatever ritual it works for you, for you, it's these goodbyes and funerals. And I think it's so important that we take care of ourselves in those moments.
2: Absolutely. You know, Leslie, the place that I got to was just acknowledging that The hardships that I walked through, the devastations that I walked through, they had already cost me enough and I was not willing to let it turn me into someone that I was never meant to be. And so for that woman that's listening right now, or even that man that's listening right now, you just had your heart broken over and over and over. I just want to remind you that your heart is much too beautiful of a place for things like bitterness, anger, resentment. You don't want to turn into somebody you were never meant to be. It's already cost you enough. And you know today is a part of your story. What happened in the past is a part of your story, but it's not the whole story. And we get an opportunity to walk into our future and decide, make some really good decisions. You know, when you've been in a destructive marriage, you feel like a lot of the decisions were taken away from you, but now you have the opportunity to walk on from here. You have a blank slate and that doesn't mean that there aren't already pages in your book. There are, but this new page that you're turning, decide, who do I really want to be? And then go after that. Honor God and honor your children, honor the people around you, but most of all, honor who you feel you are called to be. And I think that's really important.
1: I love that. And ultimately what we're trying to actually grow into are God-centered people and not people-centered people, because when we're afraid that they're not going to give us something that God is only going to be able to give us like approval and unconditional love. And we keep not setting boundaries because we want their love or their approval or their at a boy or at a girl kind of thing by really coming to terms with saying, God, I want what you want for my life. And I want to be the best version of myself that you created me to be. And sometimes the people who we have to set the toughest boundaries with did not want us to grow into that person. They wanted us to stay small. They wanted us to stay worshiping and revolving our lives around their life instead of building our own. And so this is an opportunity for us to reorient and really become more focused on Who am I, God? And who did you call me to be? And it might be that I'm going to be a stronger, completely different person if I'm not standing under someone else's shadow.
2: That's right. And Leslie, my heart just feels so tender right now that someone may be listening and you may feel like I hear what you're saying. And yet because of this reason or because of this complication or because of this fear or because of this certain reality that I'm facing, I can't do all of this. Like some of this really good stuff, it just, it just doesn't apply to my situation. And, and to that, I want to say, I am so sorry that you're in that situation and you may be absolutely right. There may be things that you can't do right now. But that's the moment where you say, and yet I'm going to get as much knowledge and wisdom as I can, because while I can't do some things, I can do some things. And I want to discover what are those things I can do. And I think boundaries are a wonderful solution to enter into your consideration. And I think in some way they will start to empower you for the decisions that you can make.
1: I love that. And sometimes these decisions are the smallest ones, like, hey, I'm going to set a boundary with myself. And instead of staying up till one o'clock angry and on social media, I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to get a good night's sleep. And I'm going to start walking every day because that makes me feel better. Small little steps forward. You might not be able to go to court and win a custody case or those big deal things, but sometimes the smallest choices can start a new sense of efficacy and and strength in your soul and in your spirit that you can move forward and you will get through this.
2: That's right. Amen to that, Leslie. I have told people over and over, over, I really do feel like I have licked the floor of hell and I live to tell about it. And now I'm not only living to tell about it, but I am allowing the experiences that I had And and the pain that I walk through. I want to help other people. And so I pray that some part of today's podcast and some part of the book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, helps you. And if so, then I can already start to see how God took the worst, most awful thing that I've ever been through and is somehow even using that for his good. That's a Joseph story for sure.
1: And that makes us actually feel
2: good, that
1: when our pain is used for God's glory and God's helping others, it's not like we would ever wish to go through it, but we can begin to see some purpose, that it's not just meaningless, and it wasn't just wasted, that we can see that we've grown, our children have grown, um, people are impacted, that we can support someone behind us because we know exactly how they feel, and creating that sense of, wow, God's going to use the mess And create a message or he's going to use what you meant for evil in my life. And he's going to use it for good. Create such a spirit of hope and strength and trust in God. And that if you end up there after what you've gone through, that can be the best place you can land.
2: Absolutely. And one other part of that too, Leslie, I never knew how much I needed to dig into the Bible on a deeper level. And this experience forced me to do that. I never realized how much I needed to go to really good Christian counseling. And yet, now that I've walked through this, this kind of forced me to do what I needed to do already. And so even though I still have those moments where I just, I so wish this wasn't my story, I can see that it is my story. I can accept reality that it is my story. And yet at the same time, I can see, wow, I have grown so much. So this situation, it didn't win. The enemy didn't win here. I'm, I'm going to win here. And um, yeah, my life looks completely different than I thought it would, but different doesn't always mean awful. It just means maybe an awful time period where I have to get used to the different. And then suddenly one day I wake up and now I'm kind of walking in this place where I've accepted reality and the different is actually beautiful and I'm okay. I made it and you will too, friend. You really will.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Would you pray for those who are listening who might be right in the smack of breakdown, right in the middle of the trauma. You know what that feels like. You've been there and you know how much we need the comfort
2: and wisdom of the Lord. Would you pray? Absolutely. Lord, I pray for that woman right now who maybe she's just made a really, another really hard discovery or Maybe things are going in a direction that she so hoped they wouldn't go. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would wrap your tender mercy around her, that you would help her know, of course, this hurts. Of course, it does. And it's okay to cry, cry as much as you need to cry. And it is okay to get help. It is okay to use your voice, to tell some safe people around you that you need help and to get the help that you need. And it is okay to take an honest assessment of what you're facing. And it is okay to give yourself the grace to take a season off. It is okay to give yourself the grace to, um, just have this moment where you deeply grieve what is lost and lord then i pray that you would give her the strength to stand back up again i pray that you would give her the strength to see that not all hope is lost even if her life looks very different that there can still be this beautiful hope-filled future Lord, I pray that even though she may not be able to make some choices, I pray that you would open her eyes to the choices that she can make. I pray that you would protect her heart when people try to weaponize scriptures against her. I pray that you would open her eyes to the truth, Lord, that you would help her walk in truth, receive your truth, and be set free by your truth. And Lord, whether you redeem her marriage or whether you rescue her out of that marriage, I pray that she will stay close to you every day through the journey and that you would give her the strength to do what she needs to do in your holy name. We pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks Lisa so much for being a part.
2: Thank you, Leslie.
0: Thank you for listening to relationship truth unfiltered. Have you ever wondered how long you should keep hoping for a destructive spouse to change and how will you know his change is real Leslie is going to answer these questions and a lot more in a free live webinar on April 13th at noon and 730 Eastern. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash free training to register. You must be registered to attend. And one more thing, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of this important podcast. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself and with others.